Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Well, hey, we are continuing our series called Roots. Everybody say Roots. Look at your neighbor and say Roots. Say grow some Roots. All right, Psalm chapter 1. We've been jumping between Jeremiah and Psalm chapter 1, Jeremiah chapter 17, Psalm chapter 1 here. And I wanted to read from Psalms today. We're going to have it up here if you want to read it aloud with me. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season. And who's... Yeah, y'all are good, good, good. And... And whatever he does prospers. How many want to be like that tree planted by the river? In fact, the scriptures say that you are that tree. And we know in Jeremiah, he talks about that. And we, we were talking about roots a couple of weeks ago. We talked about being rooted in Christ under the old covenant. We know that to be rooted, you had to obey the law, right? So that was the way. So one of the ways that you can read this scripture, his delight is in the way of the Lord. So under the old covenant, the way of the Lord was was obedience to the law, right? All these crazy laws we had to keep. But under the new covenant, our obedience is through Jesus, right? And so Jesus is the way for the new covenant believer. And because we are rooted in Jesus, we are like trees that aren't limited to growth by our season, right? Because we're well-rooted, we're fresh and green all year. And we talked about that other scripture in Psalms that talks about that the righteous are like cedars of Lebanon. And we talked about that. So we all long for greatness, right? We all long for the last part of that, that, that reading that we read there that says, whatever he does prospers. We all long for that, right? Don't, don't you want whatever you do to be blessed? Don't you want like when you, you know, like if you were a, a farmer or whatever, you would have a, a green thumb. Don't you want everything just to be, when you touch it, it's just amazing, right? Well, scripture promises that when you get your hands on it, that it prospers, whatever you do, if your ways are matching up with his ways, right? If we're doing it God's way. And listen, we all long for greatness. We all long for prosperity, right? We all want a bigger paycheck, right? We all want more people to like us, We want, especially our children and our wives, right? And so we all long for this greatness. We all want to be prosperous, right? Anybody that says they don't, they're lying. And so we talked several weeks ago, again, just want to rehash that a little bit about these cedar trees. And we talked about how they're 120 feet high, 10 to 12 story buildings. Imagine a tree, a tree that is evergreen, that it doesn't know seasons, even winter it's growing, right? We talked about that. We talked about the longevity of these cedar trees, that, that it's not uncommon for them to live a thousand years, some of them 3,000 years. So we have this beautiful, glorious picture of the righteous, of the beloved, of those that belong to God. And we look at that and we go, oh man, that's me. I want to prosper. I want to be full of growth and life. And I want people to look at my tree and admire me, right? And that's, I think that that's a natural desire. But why? 
Why do you want to be so fruitful? Why do you want to be so developed and green and evergreen and, and, and have the longevity and the fragrance, the fragrance of Christ? Why do you want all those things? Can I tell you today that all of those things that we've just talked about are byproducts of the root of that tree, right? And one of the things that we have got to be rooted in is the why, why am I here? Why do I go to work every day and work eight hours at a job that I don't particularly love? Right? Why do I do what I do? What is my purpose? What is my purpose? And listen, beloved, can I tell you, you need to be rooted in your purpose because your purpose is not to make $10 an hour. Lord, I hope it's better than that. Your purpose is not to make 100 grand a year or 200 grand a year. That is not your purpose. Your purpose isn't just to raise your kids so they'll be good citizens and go to nice colleges. That is not your purpose. That might be involved, but that's not why you're here. You know, I have a, a coffee maker at my house. Um, it's a pour over coffee maker. I drink from that most days. Praise the Lord. Come on. Bless the Lord for coffee. It has a purpose, right? The purpose of that coffee maker is to make me thick, glorious, beautiful, dark, roasted coffee that I can enjoy with the Lord first thing every morning. It has a purpose. A couple of months ago, we found a really good deal on one of these robot vacuums. Right? You know what these robot vacuums are? They're awesome. You need to know. So I have, we bought, we bought this, we found a really good deal on it, so we bought it. And man, I love it that I can just sit on my couch and work's getting done. It's like I'm just sitting there, I don't have a computer in front of me, I just push a little button and goes around the house, vacuums, I get stuck every once in a while, but it has a purpose. Its purpose is to vacuum the floor when I'm sitting there doing nothing. Its, its purpose is not... To be a remote control vacuum, which sometimes it gets to be that. But that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to vacuum the floor. Its purpose is not to make me coffee every day. So I don't get frustrated when I wake up in the morning and I walk in to my kitchen to make coffee and look at the vacuum and go, where's my coffee? Because that is not the purpose of the vacuum cleaner. The purpose of the vacuum cleaner is to vacuum the floor. The purpose of the coffee maker is to make me coffee. And I have to work with it, but you know. Did you know that you have a purpose? And many people live life frustrated because they don't know what their purpose is. They're trying to vacuum floors when their job is to make coffee. So we need to be rude in purpose. And how many know that you have a purpose? That God has a purpose. There's a reason you're alive. It's not just to breathe, it's not just to exist, it's not just to kind of make it through, it's not to survive. That is not your purpose. If you're going to be rooted in purpose, number one, you've got to be rooted in who. Everybody say who. Rooted in who. That's your idea, not who, like whoville. Rooted in who. Who are you? That's, that's where purpose starts. Who are you? Listen, if you want to discover your purpose, you must first discover him. That's where purpose begins. See, for the Christian, who I am is rooted in whose I am. Because you belong to God, you have a significant purpose. But your purpose begins with this idea of who, you, who are you? I am a child of God. 
Come on. I'm a kingdom citizen. See, we get it backwards because we think we, we try to go through life experiencing as little pain as we can and experiencing as much pleasure as we can. So we become pleasure pursuers. Right? Listen, you were not created for your pleasure. You were created for his pleasure. And get this. You are the object of his pleasure. God wants you to be fully satisfied. Scripture talks about this all over the scripture. God wants you to have that satisfaction of the soul. He wants you to experience pleasure. But in order for you to experience God's pleasure, he must become your pleasure. He must become your delight. Colossians 1.16 says this, all things were created by him and for him. You were created for God. That is your primary purpose. What are you here for? I'm here for God. That coffee maker that I have, that's Josh Brown's coffee maker. That's mine. That one was, that one was created for me. And I had to pay some money. I had to pay to get it. And you were purchased. You were not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. So stop trying to live life on what you can hold on to so you can think you can be happy. Um, you know, I've heard people say things like this. Well, I'm just focused on being rooted in myself, doing some self-discovery. Beloved, you are not your own. Your self is gone. You're called to die to self. It's no longer, listen, can I tell you, the, the most pleasurable way for you to live is to realize that you are not living for you. Can I tell you, you're not living for your spouse. You're not living for your boss or for your kids. You're living for God. And many of us go, man, I just want to know what God's plan is for my life. I just, I just want to know. I want to know the will of God. We, man, we deal with a lot of young people, so we know. Man, I just want to know what God's will is. I'm fasting and praying and praying and praying. Who am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to Listen, it's not about God's plan for my life. It's my life for God's plan. If you will get this, you won't have to keep praying about, God, what's your will for my life? You'll know. It'll fall into line. Not, God, what is your will for my life? What is my life? In God's plan. I see, I am his. My life is his. My opinions are his. If they're not, then they need to be. My desires are his. My passions are his. My job is his. My family is his. My day is his. My hour is his. Every single moment is his because I belong to God. I was created by God. I was created for God, for God's enjoyment. And if I want to enjoy life, then I must realize it all starts with this. Whose am I? And because of that, I will honor and glorify him through all that I do. So this is what we've, we've done with the thing. I want to honor the Lord. I want to, you know, honor the Lord in my life. So this is what we do. Typically, this is what we see. People do everything they want to do. And then whenever they get the trophy for it or the paycheck, they go, to God be the glory. I want to take this minute to thank God. The first time they mentioned God was at the end. Can I tell you, you need to be thinking about God in the beginning and in the middle and in the end. Nothing wrong with thanking God, but we, we super spiritualize people that get up and go, I just want to thank the Lord. Oh, they're a Christian. They're a follower of Christ. They're living their purpose. Look at them. No, oh, man, I'm going to read their book. I'm going to follow them on Twitter, right? Isn't it funny how we are with like celebrities? So weird. 
Like a celebrity gets saved, and it's like, man, I'm anything they're saying, you know? It's like, whoa. Man, if they said it, I'll tell you what, because they're popular and everybody loves them, so they must have something to give me spiritually. Isn't it so silly? We're so silly. Listen, God doesn't want you just at the end going, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for making me famous. Thank you, God, for giving me awards. He's, he's wanting us to be driven in our lives to know him, to recognize him, to realize that, God, I am your son, whether I get the trophy, the first place trophy, or I don't get a trophy at all. Right. Not even a participation trophy. And listen, and the thing is, is I'm, that whenever, I, whenever it comes time for the award ceremony, I'm not all, oh, man, I really was thinking God was going to give. We're not worried about that because we're like, man, I'll just glorify God and all of it. So at the end, you're like, yeah, honor the Lord. I did it for God. Yes. And so you're not so moved by the outcome because you met God in the process. And you involved God in the process. That's what honoring God means. That you realize from the beginning to the end, I belong to God and I'm doing it for God. <clears throat> so purpose is rooted in who? Our identity. Number two, our purpose is rooted in what? What we do. Our assignment. Our assignment. Everybody say assignment. How many know that you've been given an assignment? Let me tell you what that assignment is. I know that there's the specific will of God, but there is also the common will of God. And I believe if we would get more consumed with the common will of God, we wouldn't have to pray so much and fast so much about the specific will of God. We get so weird, you know, buying books and listening to all this. There's nothing wrong with that. You need, those are good questions to ask, but don't be so obsessed. Just do what God wants you to do. Live how God wants you to live. It'll all fall into line. See, our assignment, humanity's assignment has never changed. When God created man, this is what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, then God blessed them. Oh, don't you like that? God blessed man. Before he did anything, God blessed him. Come on, that'll preach all day. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So what was man's job on the earth? To govern the earth that belonged to the Lord. To advance the kingdom of God. See, the thing, the theme of scripture is the kingdom of God. What is, what is kingdom mean? King's domain, king's dominion, govern the earth, subdue the earth, take dominion on the earth. So when God put mankind on the earth, his purpose, his assignment for us was to what? Take over the world. Global domination. Let's just be real. That's why God put man on the earth. Now, it's not, maybe, maybe not what you think it is. Because Jesus showed us how ruling looks like. Right? Okay. Fill the earth and govern it. So what happened? We ruled for a little bit and then we gave up the keys, right? Right? Because we partook in pleasure that was supposed to be under our feet. Instead, we submitted to it. Right? And so we gave up the keys. We gave it the dominion. And then what happened? Well, sin entered the world, and sin dominated the world. So Jesus comes, and what does he do? He gets the keys back, right? So Jesus comes, he reestablishes his government on the earth, right? We did a series about that back in December. Reestablishes order, reestablishes dominion, gives believers his Holy Spirit so we can continue what was mandated in Genesis 1. This is your purpose. See, your purpose 
and you better get this right, is global domination, but not for your kingdom, for his. So the last thing that Jesus tells us to do is this, Matthew 28. We call this the Great Commission. Everybody say the Great Commission. Now, what I'm about to share with you is not the Great Suggestion, right? It's the Great Commission. And it's not just the Great Mission, it's the Great Commission because we do it together, collectively as the body of Christ, also with the filling of the Holy Spirit. So it's not, it's not an independent mission, right? It's a collective mission. Here it is. Co-mission, collective mission. All right, that'll work. Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I didn't have it before, but I came and died and rose again. Now I have the, got the keys, remember? Came back, got the keys, here you go. I've got all authority, now I'm giving you authority. This is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How many nations? All of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So I'm giving you the assignment. I'm going to be with you on the assignment. You're going to do it together. What is the assignment? Is it evangelism? No. It's discipleship. Let me, let me, let me talk about this for just a minute. First of all, let me say this. This is the greatest mission you can accomplish. Better than a billion-dollar empire. This is the greatest mission. It's the mission of every believer. You don't get, listen, just because you have issues in your life doesn't give you a free pass on this. Well, I'm trying to get, it's not, a, for, did you forget? It's not about you, right? It's great. God will work in spite of your weakness. In fact, more of your weakness will be worked out with you being obedient than it will you sit around going, man, I just need to work on my issues before I can do the Great Commission. And you just do the Great Commission, the issues will line up. Y'all okay? All right. Listen, our greatness, we call it the Great Commission. If you want to be great, just like we talked about last week, the Great Commandment, the great greatness is loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and fulfilling the Great Commission. You want to be great? Obey this. Do this. This is the key to greatness. I want to be great. I want to be prosperous. Here's the key. Uh, I thought a lot of people would know my name, and I'd be, God make me a famous singer or something. Well, he might. He might not. But at the end of the day, it's not about you anyway. So the greatest, okay. So listen, let me say this, and then we'll, we'll jump into this. If your vision of greatness does not end here, okay, what do you want to do? You've got this vision in your mind. If your vision of greatness does not end right here in Matthew 28, if your vision of greatness does not end up here, then your vision of greatness is small. It's not great at all. Because to the ends of the earth is huge. Right? Okay. I want to break this down a little bit for you, this, this passage. There's four verbs that we see. And now I'm going to give you a little bit of an English lesson. I know that I shouldn't because y'all know. Why are y'all laughing? I got this. But I want to give you a little bit of a, 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 an English lesson. There's four verbs here, right? Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Four words, right? 
Now, y'all going to have to help me out here. Now, if you want to really geek out on this, this is an original. Okay, there's an inside your app. There's a resource center. And if you want to geek out on all this, the, the article's in there that I got all this from. Okay? There are two kinds of verbs being used out of the four. There's a imperative verb, and there's uh, participles verbs. Okay? So, participles. 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 Told you. All right. An imperative verb in English would typically be a single action word, often followed by an exclamation point. Run. Fight. Eat. Right? This, after service, eat. Right? That's the verb. Imperative verb. Right? This is what I'm going to do at the end. Go. Right? We see books. We see posters talking about the Great Commission. Go. Imperative verb. That's how we read it, okay? The second time type of verb is a participle. And a present participle are words that end with ing, right? Running, fighting, eating, going, ing, 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 giving, right? Demonstrating. Present participles are ing words like swimming and running and eating. So oftentimes we read the passage like this. Go, verbal imperative, right? Exclamation point, right? How many of you, most of the time, you've read it like that? Just go. Let's do it. And then we have the participles. Are you with me? Making disciples, baptizing, teaching. So that's how we read it most of the time in English. Okay? Understand that there was no exclamation points in the Greek language. Okay? However, there were verb tenses that were used. So here's how it is written in Greek. This is going to blow some of your mind. It blew my mind. All right, ready? Going is the actual way that it's interpreted. So going is a participle, right? Going, progressive. Disciple is the imperative, okay? The imperative, and I'm going I'm to break this down for you. I know that some of you are getting lost, as I am I also. A verbal imperative without the noun make. So the word make actually isn't in the Greek text. Just the word disciple. Okay? It's not discipling. It's disciple. Okay? You follow me? This is how it reads in the Greek. The third word is baptizing. Right? We're going to be baptizing people. Not just baptize. Done. Teach. We don't just teach. We're teaching. Those are participles. So going, baptizing, and teaching are the participles. Are you following me? However, the imperative is disciple. So the verse should actually be read like this. Are you ready? As you are going, disciple nations, baptizing, teaching. As you go, as you live life, as you're functioning, this is what we do. Go. Sign up for a mission trip. Go. Let's go out on an outreach. How many know that Jesus never went on an outreach? Jesus never went on a mission trip. Jesus had a mission. Do you have a mission? What is your mission? Well, to raise kids. How does that fit in here? Are you making disciples out of your children? Are you teaching Right? Okay. As you are going, disciple nations. 
By the way, the Great Commission is not about evangelism. It's not about outreaches and mission trips. It's about discipling nations. Right? Not making disciples, discipling nations. Because you don't get discipled and then you're, it's over. I've been a disciple for over 20 years now. It'll be 25 years this year. I know. It was eight or something close to that. Listen, our mandate is to disciple nations as we live our lives. As we live the lives that God has provided for us. So our life is mission. And, and listen, let me just say this. I love mission trips. I love outreaches. All that's great. But those are just to train you for ordinary life. Ordinary life is making disciples. So you're called to make disciples at work. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're supposed to get on the intercom and preach whenever you work at Kroger. Hello, shoppers. There's a healing on all four. I am the manager so we can do this, right? That would be awesome if you did that. But if you're an employee, you're there to work. And we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. So how does your mission, this is what God's called me to do. Yes, you need to be a good steward of your family. You need to be a good steward of your job. How does your mission fulfill the Great Commission? Oh, man, I I don't know. Well, what can you do to fulfill the Great Commission in your going? How can you season your job, infuse your job with the gospel? And it might not involve words. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. See, when you realize that you're called to bring the kingdom, everywhere you go makes the mundane feel like a mission. See, when you live like this all the time, you're on a mission. All the time. The mission doesn't stop and end. It started when you came to Jesus, but it doesn't end until you stand before Jesus and you get all these crowns for doing what you did. And then you cast him on his feet and go, man, God, thank you for giving me so much so that I can give you back. Right? Okay. So you want meaning in the mundane? You want mission in the mundane? Advance the kingdom. So we're rooted in who? We're rooted in what? And then we're rooted in How? What does this look like? What is the practical? It's called cultural transformation. Everybody say culture. Right? There's a lot of problems with culture today. We complain a lot about culture. Some of us, that's all we use our social media for, is to complain about culture. Listen, as much as we want to complain about culture, people issues, social issues, political issues, all of the issues can be settled by us not being satisfied to conform, it won't be satisfied for us just being aware. Listen, culture, listen, the cultural issues will not be changed with campaigns and awareness. They won't. I mean, you know, oh, just, I'm a sounding the alarm. We already know. We already know how screwed up the world is because the world is infused with sin. But our mandate hasn't changed. But you're not going to change anybody's life through a screen. You're going to do it across the, across the table from them, having a conversation. And it might not even be about the Lord. It might just be about the way that you're talking to them. It's solved by bringing a different culture, one person, one moment at a time. 
See, we love, man, we love it, right? I mean, I remember when I came to the Lord in 93, I was like, Lord Jesus, I want to see the whole world transform, run! I couldn't love the person in front of me. I want to have a big ministry. I want to leave a big impact. And he's like, will you just influence like a couple of people like Jesus did? I mean, I think Jesus changed the world. You know how many he deeply influenced? You could argue three. But he loved everyone in front of him. And what Jesus did is Jesus introduced heaven's culture. He transformed the culture not by having rights outside of the synagogue. He wasn't out there, come on, let's protest the sinner. They're doing it with the wrong spirit. He didn't do that. He got in there and he had conversations. Not saying that there's anything wrong with standing up for things and marching. I'm all about that. But that doesn't change culture. We transform culture by bringing his culture. Check this out. Proverbs 13, uh, 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a disgrace to any people. You know why America's so jacked up? Because there's not enough righteousness happening. Righteousness is what exalts a nation. Righteousness is what blesses a nation. So when will the righteous stand up? And by standing up, I don't mean that you vote a certain way. It might involve that. Or you go to a rally. It might involve that. But how will you act in conversation? How will you act at work? How will you work at work? See, we've got this thing in the church where you've got people that are really angry and against everything, or you have people that just hide in their house and talk on Facebook. That's kind of what we have, right? And so we're, we're kind of afraid to get out among the world because we're afraid we'll be unclean. You remember under the old covenant, if someone is unclean and you touch them, what happened to you? You become unclean. You know what? When Jesus came and introduced heaven's culture, when he touched unclean things, unclean things became clean. So unclean, unredeemed things will be redeemed because you're there. Are you willing to touch some unclean things? I don't want to, you know, we, we homeschool our kids. We plan on doing that. But it's not a, a fear thing where it's like, oh, we want to keep them away. Listen, if they want to go back to school as ambassadors for Christ, Awesome. That's what we hope. But we're not like, oh, we just want to protect them. We need to raise children that will infuse the culture with the gospel. So how do we do this? 2 Corinthians 5.20. Y'all okay today? I know it's so heavy. I'm not mad at you. Everybody say, he's not mad. He's preaching for me. All right. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We are ambassadors. So the thing is, is God set this kingdom up. This amazing kingdom that we get to be part of. And he said, you get to steward it. Here's the keys. I'll be with you. I'll empower you. Let's do it. Right? We are ambassadors. An ambassador is one who represents. We represent the king of glory every day, all the time. To our spouse, to our kids, to our workplace, to our colleagues, to our friends, to the world, we represent Jesus. You know what Jesus looks like on the earth? You. And let me say this. We need to preach the gospel. I mean, the, the thing that makes Christianity different is our message. Let's just be real. Because there's a lot of people out there doing good things that aren't followers of Christ. The thing that separates Christianity is our message. The power is in our message. And listen, we want salvation. 
I prayed back in November. We were, we were praying at the furnace. And sometimes I pray things and I'm like, dang it, why did I do that? And so we're praying. And I got up here on the mic and I was walking around praying. I was like, Lord, we're asking for a thousand souls in the next year. Will you believe, will you pray that with me? That God will bring a, a thousand through the influence of this church. Come on. Not saying that we'll have a thousand in the room. Hope not. That'd be crazy. But that a thousand people would come to know Jesus because of the people in this church. We're believing that. A thousand people. I, I, need your, I need your help so we can answer that prayer. But listen, and we can heal the sick. We can drive out demons. We can take care of the poor and the orphan and the widow. We want to do all that. We need to do that. But sometimes, listen, sometimes we tend to underestimate small moments and overestimate big impact. So what we do is we wait for an opportunity to make a big impact, but we don't do anything in the mundane. We don't do anything in the little. So we tend to underestimate these small moments. Can I tell you today, it might be small telling somebody thank you and smiling and telling someone, man, I hope you're having a great day today. No Christianese, no weirdness about it, no, no praying for them. If you're going to do that, Awesome. But we tend to glorify this big impact thing, but in the mundane, we don't do anything. Will you just live differently? Will you bring his culture? See, the kingdom is not limited by the what. In the sense of like, I work at a clinic that helps sick people. The kingdom is not limited by what we're doing. Flipping burgers, graphic design work, Come on, whatever. It's always advanced by the how and the why I'm doing it. How are you flipping burgers? Well, I fl- no. What spirit do you possess when you're doing it? When you're waiting tables. When you're pumping gas. When you're raising kids. See, when I'm playing with my kids, it's the kingdom. When I'm doing graphic design work, it's the kingdom. Not because of what I'm doing, but how I'm doing it. I am bringing the culture of heaven into that. I'm loving my kids. Real love. Not this fake thing that the world talks about. Love is a kingdom principle. So when you love well the person that's in front of you, guess what you just did? You released the kingdom. You took dominion. Am I coming? Am I going? My going. In my going, I'm discipling nations. Listen, do the big. We want to do the big, big impact. But we have this kind of glorified idea of what making an impact for God looks like. We think it means standing up with a microphone, preaching to a multitude of people. The greatest influence doesn't happen by you observing somebody else talking about it. It happens by you having conversation, by you doing life with them. I, I did a little bit of studying. Um, I heard a, 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 a podcast, and it was a manager, a guy that had been with Chick-fil-A for 17 years. And we all love Chick-fil-A, and we love their chicken and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And we, but we all know if you've you, – I'm sure you have gone to Chick-fil-A because you're a Christian. Um, but we go to Chick-fil-A. We like going to Chick-fil-A. We don't necessarily like going to Chick-fil-A for their chicken. Their chicken's good. But we know that when you go to Chick-fil-A, it's like, you feel appreciated. Don't you? You're like, hey, I'm at a fast food joint. They're, gonna, they're acting like a full service restaurant, right? They're like coming and filling up my drink, and they're smiling, and they're saying, you know, my pleasure. And they're like, yeah. Right? 
Right? I mean, you can have a really rotten day. Go, just go to Chick-fil-A, man. You'll feel better. <laughs> Let me tell you, Chick-fil-A, one of the reasons why they're successful is because they have kingdom principles in their, in their business. And it's not because they're closed on Sundays. Because they could be open on Sundays, and I think God would still bless what the, because of how they're doing it, okay? But they do that to honor their employees. I think it's part of the blessing, but I think that God would still bless them. But this is what their mission statement says. To glorify God by being faithful stewards that all he's entrusted to us. To have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. Notice that nothing in their mission statement says anything about serving chicken. Because they could be serving burgers. Right? Bad, terrible like McDonald's burgers at Chick-fil-A. They could just duplicate that. And it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't matter. You would still experience that because their mission is to love people. Their mission is to value people, to influence, to be a positive influence on everybody. Like, I don't know that sounds real corporate or whatever, but listen, it blows my mind. I, I listened to that. I was like, it's nothing about chicken. It's how they do it. It's how they serve the chicken, which is the reason why they've made such a dent. How are you doing what you do? Let's, let's talk about a couple of these things, and we're going to pray. Y'all all right? When you're treated unfairly at work, or someone's rude to you, do you respond with rudeness? Because if that's the case, you're reacting to the culture, not influencing it. Kingdom culture is kindness. Can you just be nice? Listen, it's just the little things. The little things will make a big difference eventually. You just got to keep doing them. Be kind. Treating people that rub you the wrong way with tenderness and not expecting some kind of reward for it. Well, I'm just going to be, I'm going to love them. I'm going to be nice to them. And if they're never nice to me, that, that's okay because I'm bringing heaven's culture. Encouragement. Some of you are so discouraged. And my question to you would be, what are you doing to encourage those around you? Oh, I'm so discouraged because of my job. And you start mentioning the environment that you're in. Listen, environment's important. It is important for you to be a good environment. But God didn't say, I'm going to put you in a good environment so you can grow. He said, no, I'm going to put you in a poor environment so you can make that environment better. So some of you, you're at a crappy job right now because God wants you there so you can make it a good job. So you can be a blessing to the people that work there. So you, his kingdom, his kingdom culture can be advanced through you at the job that you would typically hate. And now all of a sudden you realize you love your job because you're at your job for a mission. And you're making like eight bucks an hour. But every day you're like, yeah, I get to go for the king. I'm doing it for the king. I get to love the people in front of me. They need encouragement. I've shared the story many times, but about seven years ago, I was working seven and a half years ago. I, was, I, had, I had to work at Super Target for a little while. And at first, I was like, and then I realized, you know what? I'm Pastor Josh, whether I'm pastoring a church or I'm at Target. So right now, Target, they're my people. So my job from 2 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock in the morning is to give hope, to give encouragement to these strange people that work at night. (laughs) I know it's funny, but it's real. Whatever you're doing, you don't have to be a pastor or on staff or have a Christian job to make a dent. In fact, I would say this, you can make a bigger dent by not being a quote-unquote professional Christian. Because that's what we want. We get on fire for God. I want to be a professional Christian. I want to get paid for serving God. Isn't that right? It's typically what we want. I want to be a pastor. I want to work in a church. I want to work at a Christian coffee shop or something. I want to be surrounded by Christians all the time. Did you forget your mission? Be 
passionate. You know, Mike Rowe does a talk and he says, he says this, he says, don't do what you're passionate, don't do what you're passionate about. Bring your passion. And I remember hearing that. I was like, man, that's so right. See, we don't, we don't, we might not be able to get to do right now at this point in your life what you would really long to do, but you can do it with the same kind of passion. And passion, my friends, is a kingdom principle. Will you bring the kingdom? Will you honor people? Well, they're not very honorable. Did you see what they, yeah, but they're people made in the image of God and they're valuable. Well, they're mean and they've done a lot of bad things. They're still valuable. Jesus still paid a price for them. Are you willing to honor them? Are you willing to love them? Oh, they cut me off in traffic. Child, they're, they're, maybe, maybe they made a mistake. You ever do that? Like you do something stupid in traffic, you're like, oh gosh, I'm a bonehead. And they're like, read between the lines. You know, they're driving by and you're like, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. You know how bad that feels? Think about that next time you tell somebody in traffic that. Or the person, they didn't, you got my order wrong? No tip for you. Generosity. Go the extra mile. Listen, not just in your money. Do it in your money, but be generous. Generous is a kingdom principle. Be a leader where you're at. God put you there to influence. He put you there to influence. Paul says this. He says, follow me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Be a leader. Well, I'm not really a leader. I'm not really. Yes, you are. Jesus called you to make disciples. How can you make disciples if you're not leading? You are a leader. Doesn't mean you have a microphone or a megaphone. It just means that you're advancing the kingdom in the little things. Don't underestimate the little things. I'll close with this thought. Listen, our purpose is to fulfill his. Our purpose is to fulfill his. And some of you today, you need boldness. You need courage. You need strength. And I believe today that the Lord wants to raise up holy boldness and you go tomorrow and you start living these things and when we walk out the doors of this place and you start doing the things that we're talking about, I believe that you're going to discover more strength in your life. I believe that your faith will be way more gratifying than it is right now.